Spend the night in a coffin. Lily! Lily! The faster you breathe, the faster you use up your air so you can't panic. Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. It's your Halloween hangover episode. Joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you? Greetings and salutations, videotape rewinders. And always remember to rewind your videotapes before you return them to the store. Uh, Wait a minute. What year is this again? Ah, Whatever. (laughs) How you doing, Mike? I'm doing pretty well. Pretty good, pretty good, and uh, you know it's it's not so important that this is like a later episode, but I I just wanted to mention it because now that we actually have somewhat of a of a um, listenership on YouTube that might be expecting like episodes on like Tuesdays and Wednesdays, uh, it's just a little later this week because of the holiday plans around you know the end of October and Halloween just pushed it out a couple days, but next episode we should be back to our regular. Uh, Scheduling time and release schedule. I, I, I'm going to have to dive into the analytics somehow and figure out, like, how people are finding the episodes on YouTube. If it's, like, people that click the YouTube link in the post or just people randomly found it based on, like, typing in the name of a movie they want to hear reviews on. Because I have no idea, honestly. That's, <laughs> like I, I YouTube, would say that's going to be the... I'd say that's going to be the highest probability because that's how I find these videos. You know, when a new movie comes out, once I watch it, you know, I might want to watch a couple of reviews. I've got a couple of reviewers on YouTube that I'm kind of loyal to. And um, but, yeah, I'll look up the movie. I won't look up the channel. So I think most people are probably looking up the movie. That's what that's what I think, too. And like we have we do have like a, a few dozen subscribers. So that is cool. Like, um obviously like i'm not i'm not concerned at this point with like oh how are we gonna make it grow and all that because like i pointed out a few times youtube was really just a secondary option but hey if i see like uh viewership or subs start to like slowly grow like maybe over the next six eight months and maybe then i'll be like okay what else can i do to like enhance the youtube channel but for now you know it's just kind of a an alternate place but uh also join us yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like, that's the other issue. It's like, how much time and effort do I want to put into it? Because it takes away from my other free time that I don't have a ton of. And if how much like, time and effort can I... you take away from introducing me, you dipwad? Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to actually take yet. a couple more minutes to do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. If, if I, if I see that it's worth putting the time and effort to, like if, if I think there's a demand for it, 
I'll figure something out. But as of now, I mean, it's not really necessary. But uh, you oh. probably heard the voice of Don and Ellie, the other regular co-host. So how's it going, Don? Yeah, doing good. Getting the uh, Halloween hangover, trying to uh, Halloween hangover cured, and uh, getting ready to get on with the rest of the year. Ah, cool. <laughs> All right. Well, our first movie out post-Halloween to discuss is now streaming on Shudder. It is, what, this is the fifth? Fifth, fifth. fifth yeah. Fifth entry in the franchise, and wouldn't you know, a sixth entry has technically already been announced, but um, more on that later, maybe at the end. But this would be VHS 99, Um Previously, VHS, yeah, 94 uh, was the latest, and I I know me and Venom really liked it. Don, you were what? Uh, positive I, on it? No, I was right behind you guys. I think I was probably uh, lukewarm on the last episode, and that was the one that dragged me down. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, overall, I was right there behind you guys. Okay, yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, without the aid of rewatching all of them and really... Kind oh, of like I analyzing did. it. <laughs> and, uh, oh, well, I was going to say, like... I still haven't seen two yeah. and three yet, but... Um, oh, shit, that's right. Yeah, I, yeah, I, uh, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, like, that was... VHS 94 is probably my second favorite. But I'd ha- but like I said, I'd have to re-watch them all, um, especially the first. Well, the first I can tell one. you right now, um, for those who don't know, who don't follow me on Facebook, I actually did a found footage challenge for October. This year, I watched 31 found footage movies, uh, a mix between old favorites and some new ones as well that I'd never seen before. And I rewatched the first four VHS movies. And upon rewatching them, my ranking now has changed. VHS 2 is no longer my favorite VHS movie. It is solidly VHS 94. I just I had such a good time watching it this time, and I, and I watched them. I literally watched them back to back to back, not on the same day, but on consecutive days. So over five consecutive days, I watched all five VHS movies, and yeah, '94 is the one that brings me the most joy, the most uh, excitement. Uh, I still love every single uh, segment. Like that's the only VHS movie that I actually love. Every single uh, you know segment. Uh, you know, we talked about the last segment, the vampire segment, being maybe one of the weaker ones, but I still absolutely loved it. I thought it was a good time, especially because of the politics, you know, around that segment and the group that, you know, was holding this vampire, blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, after watching them all, 94 is king for me. I just – Tomo's uh, – or Timo's uh, segment, <laughs> I could watch that on a loop for six hours straight, and it will bring me just as much joy – in the first hour as it will in the sixth hour. That that segment is just so spectacular. And I stand by my statement. It is my favorite, uh, excuse me, horror anthology segment of all time. Nothing comes close. So there you go. Wow. <laughs> all right. Well, I how, how I, forget, I, I had actually, I'm sorry, Mike. I had actually forgotten how silly the ending of Safe Haven was. Like, Safe Haven is my favorite segment in VHS 2, but I totally forgot how silly that monster looks when he's coming out. It kind of it kind of made me chuckle. <laughs> hmm. All, All right. right. Well, with that, let's find out how well VHS 99 holds up. 
Uh, synopsis, witness a hellish vision of 1999 as social isolation, analog technology, and disturbing home videos fuse into a nightmare of found footage savagery. All right. <laughs> Hell of a synopsis there, I guess. Um, Venom, we'll kick it off with general thoughts. What did you think of VHS 1999? Well, going into this movie, especially having watched the previous four, the you know, the four days before, I honestly thought that VHS had kind of learned their lesson and that VHS viral would kind of go down as the worst one ever. It pains me to say, folks, no, VHS 99 is now the worst in the in the uh, franchise. I I don't think I enjoyed one story here. They all had cool elements, like you know, there's gore and all of and most of them. Um, we even get some cool Lovecraftian stuff in one or two of the segments, but. Overall, I just did not have a good time watching this movie. First of all, the wraparound is ridiculous. It's not the most entertaining thing in the movie because it is so ridiculous. Um, basically, a kid playing with his toy soldiers. But it was kind of funny at first. But then they give up on the wraparound. Like, after the third segment, there is no more wraparound. The stories just kind of go right into each other. So... I don't know. I, I don't know why they ran out of wraparound to use, but uh, and then the way that the wraparound ends with the older douchey brother posing in the mirror, just ah, just a lot of this movie really bothered me. Um, obviously, you know, we'll talk about this segment by segment in in our in our spoiler filled conversation. But honestly, I, I I can't really point at any one segment here. I think Ozzy's Dungeon, maybe, that was the one with the game show, just because it was different, because, you know, that segment starts out a certain way. It seems like it's going to be, you know, a parody of Double Dare from the 90s, but then it goes a completely different route about halfway through the segment. And I ended up enjoying the end of that one, mainly because it does have a very Lovecraftian-type ending, but I still struggle to find elements of all the segments to really get behind. And I think my biggest complaint is going to be that almost every segment in this movie, four out of the five segments have a young cast. You're talking high school and college aged people in four out of the five segments. And then the only segment that doesn't have, you know, any ultra young people in it, or at least where they're not a big part of the story, it would be the last one to Helen back and that whole that whole segment, I'm just like, what the fuck is this derivative, you know, just uh, pedantic hell, you know, vision of hell that I'm being shown? Like, this is the most cut and dry, color by numbers vision of hell I've ever seen. Like, like I said, folks, this this chapter in the VHS franchise for me has taken a little bit of a dip. Actually, it's taken a giant dip because we're going from my favorite one in '94 to now my least favorite in 99. And I can, you know, I can confidently say that, because like I said, I rewatched Viral. I actually came up a little bit on Viral. The, the, you know, the Spanish segment I really, really enjoyed. The first segment with the cloak I know is the one that a lot of people have contention with. I didn't hate it as much this time around. So, yeah, I kind of warmed up on Viral, whereas I watched this I watched this entry three fucking times in the hopes that I would warm up to it. And I just found myself getting frustrated, more and more frustrated on every watch. So, yeah, unfortunately, I'm not going to have a lot of great things to say about VHS 99. But I am, a, I, you know, ultimately, I am a found footage and anthology horror fan. So, of course, I'm going to watch it. And I would still recommend it to people 
like me who are fans of found footage and anthology horror. But all I would say is, you know, curb your expectations. We're not getting VHS 94 with this one. That's it for general thoughts. All right. I'll move it over to Dawn. Uh, general thoughts on VHS 99. Yeah, I'm kind of right where Venom is. Uh, this one's uh, not good. Um I, I I don't know where my rankings would be because, like I said, I, I haven't seen two and three yet, and I've seen one once, and it was bad enough to put me off the rest of the franchise. So I, I, I don't have a lot of familiarity with the franchise. I mean, 94 is awesome, like uh, we've been saying, but yeah, the, the segments in here are pretty terrible. Um uh, just go real quickly. Um, part one has a decent concept at its heart, but uh, there's not a lot going on elsewhere. And mm-hmm. it kind of is ruined by uh, the one fundamental flaw in a lot of found footage films. Why the fuck are you filming this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, part two, actually, this one was my favorite of the of the series. I actually really like this one. Um, great idea, nice concept, uh, some solid jump scares, cool imagery, um, I, again, why the hell are they filming this? And uh, some of the camera angles just look like they were specifically being filmed. Like, why would you purposely drag a camera angle to capture that? Uh, kind of ruins the illusion for that one a little bit, but uh, not enough for me to really downgrade that one too much. Third one, just, uh, why was this included? Um, fuck this shit. Uh, fourth one, um <laughs> There's nudity, so at least that one's better, but uh, same general thoughts on that. <laughs> and uh, the last segment, I actually didn't mind this one. Um, again, uh, why are you filming this shit? But, <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually really like a lot of the visuals in this one. Um, some decent ideas, uh, kind of bland other than that. But I, I will say I do like the final twist and that. I thought the, fi- the, the twist with that one was uh, actually pretty clever, and I didn't call it coming. So, yeah, that one uh, was a fun little surprise. But, uh, yeah, other than that, there's just not a lot here that I really liked. Um, I mean, two is um, easily the pick of the litter with these. Uh, you know, the, the third and the fourth ones have no business being here. But, yeah, this one was a huge, huge step down and uh Kind of like where I would rank uh, part one as just, yeah, not very good. If I kind of came into this just expect you know, hearing hype of not actually seeing any of the others, I, I would be massively disappointed because, uh, yeah, the the wraparound with the toys, I actually kind of got a little endeared to them because they it was kind of a fun little story. I liked the way that mm-hmm. uh, it was playing out and I, the voiceovers actually kind of matched and it was uh, pretty funny. So, yeah, uh, that was kind of disappointing that they dropped that. But, yeah, overall, uh, not very good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, as far as I go, I think overall I probably like 99 a little bit more than you guys. But my main issue is for an anthology, it it didn't feel like any individual segment hit the highs of, like, the other installments yeah. of the mm-hmm. franchise like yeah, two, when it comes I, to an anthology yeah you expect like the highs lows mediums but this yeah, one it just kind of felt favorite. like an even tone to it all two's my favorite but i i would still put everything that i liked in 99 in 94 above that one 
Yep. Yeah. Um, 94, way better. I mean, yeah, it is a little disappointing that coming off like 94, which is arguably the best in the franchise, that they immediately go back down to like uh, a, fran- a franchise entry that doesn't have any individual. I do have a thought on that, but I want to keep. I, I do have a thought on that, but because you guys are more familiar, I want to keep that for spoilers. So definitely remind me about that because I do have a topic to bring up about that. But I, I think okay, that's a spoiler. It. I think that's a spoiler conversation. But um, I'll, I want to bring that back when uh, we get to that section. Okay. Um, yeah. What else? Can I, it's, it's kind of hard with the anthology entries to even say too much until we can get into spoilers. But uh, yeah, I, I also noticed the same observation as Venom had. It was, it was pretty much all younger cast in this, not a very diverse like POV from like the people going on. I, I did like the, um, the game show segment just cause that probably, <laughs> that one probably cracked me up the most, like from the, from the start. Like, the first half cheesy was funny, over yeah. the top. Yeah. <laughs> the cheesy over the top host. Um, the but I also felt like the game these... itself wasn't bad. I, the game itself's not bad, but it's just uh, where it goes. I think is just kind of really disappointing. See, I see. I was okay with where it went. I just felt like it dragged. It like took a little long to yes. get where it was going. That that was my main issue. Like once we, once we see what's established, what the family doing, and once that's established, I felt like what happened at the very end of it should have come way sooner. Like it it, it yeah. felt too long for the content of the story. Um, and then yeah, man, the other segment, I just felt like everything was just okay. Like it. The, the, this is the one where, like, if you're marathoning the franchise, fine. I would, I would, wouldn't have a problem watching it again. But this would never be like my go-to. There's nothing about this. Yeah, one I think that says, that's. Oh, I gotta throw on ninety-nine. I think that's kind of where I would put it too. Is that it, this shouldn't really be like a a standalone recommend. This should only be like a franchise run through kind of an entry. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, like there, if you were, uh, I'll put it this way: like if you were compiling like one VHS movie, let's say six, seven segments, I don't think I would pick anything from this, even though I don't really dislike any of them. I just don't think anything from this would be picked to go on the best of. Yeah, no no segment in this movie would even be top ten for VHS, like a a top ten segment, not at all. Uh, Yeah, and like, what else? I don't know. It's kind of hard to get any more in depth without spoilers but yeah. i would say you know watch it it's on it's on shutter if you like the other vhs movies it, it, it's kind of like a it, now that we're five in to this franchise it's kind of a matter of like it's really going to come down to personal preference because you know what you're kind of get in for with these mm-hmm. movies and maybe you'll like them uh more because there's plenty of people that didn't think 94 was like as good as we did so it's hard to say especially when it comes to anthology because since you're getting five anywhere from four to five actual different mini stories people could end up liking some of these more or less so i would still say watch it check it out yeah definitely i mean a lot of the positives of this movie is its visuals um i i thought the creature design on a lot of the creatures were cool the punk zombie band um uh, guillotine you know um from suicide bid 
whatever the fuck that creature was at the end of Ozzy's dungeon. Like there, there's, there's some great effects in here, some cool creature designs. Um, the creature from the fourth segment called the Gawkers, I'm not going to say what it is because it's a bit of a spoiler, but that one kind of left me wanting a little bit more. Um, but I was already so checked out of that segment because of the fucking kids. Like the first half of the segment, it's just watching these kids, you know, try, just being stupid kids. And it's like, I don't understand how this is entertaining, how I'm supposed to be entertained as a movie watcher, watching these 15 year olds run around doing stupid shit. It just, I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I understand that not every member of a horror audience is going to be my age. So it's not like I'm looking for something necessarily tailored for myself, but when we go back to VHS 94, none of those segments had a young, like an ultra young cast, like high school age. You know what I mean? Everybody, and I'm not necessarily saying that that has, um, how can I put it? It's not necessarily a negative. Like, I don't hate things with a youthful cast, not at all. I mean, we praised the Fear Street trilogy, you know, last year. But this one, it was just annoying little shits, you know? It's the annoying kids in the punk band in the first segment. It's the annoying bitches in the sorority in the second segment. It's the annoying uh, family in the, uh, the third segment. And it's the annoying fucking kids across the street in the fourth segment. It's just... A lot of young, um, just shitty characterizations throughout this movie. Just not a lot for an adult audience to gravitate towards, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. The other big thing that kind of struck me about this, this one, four of the five segments are revenge stories. The first four stories in this movie are revenge stories. It's like there's different antagonists in each one and different scenarios and things like that, but they're at their core, all four of them are revenge stories. And I thought that was a little repetitive. It's like, you know, give me something else. Give me, you know, like with the first, uh, with the last um, movie, the last entry in this franchise, you know, we got some cool stuff. You know, we got Ratma and the sewer. We didn't, at least I don't remember any annoying people. The only annoying people from 94 was, you know, the, the yahoos, the, the the right-leaning yahoos in the final segment of 94, but they were still comical to me. Like, I still laughed my ass off because of how just stupid they fucking were. This movie, very little made me laugh, you know? And, and that's kind of a staple for VHS, is that it does have some, uh, a little bit of levity with its comedy. And this one, I don't know, not at all. Like, there were a couple of moments that were funny, I will admit, yes. But from what I would expect from a VHS entry... This one is very lackluster for me, you know? It's there. I'm not going to say that any of the segments are necessarily bad. They're just not up to par with what we got out of 94. I don't even think they're up to par with what we got in viral, like I said, after rewatching it. It's just, if VHS 94 was a horror anthology film for us adults, then VHS 99 is very much a horror anthology for the Fear Street crowd. And, you know, no offense there. I'm not trying to insult anybody. I'm just saying I'm not the audience for VHS 99. And that's too bad because ultimately, even with a couple of poor entries, this is by far my favorite found footage, you know, franchise. Um, Wreck kind of, they lost a little bit with the third and fourth entries, but that's a discussion for another show. So from beginning to end, I would say VHS is my favorite found footage and at least still going anthology series. So, but this century, I like, I still can't defend this as much as I'd like to. There's positives, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be speaking at all negatives, but 
Uh, the negatives definitely outweigh the positives in this one, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. And what is up with VHS and their wraparounds, man? The last three VHS wraparounds have been, like, really fucking odd. Like, they don't even feel, like, true. Like, one and two had legit wraparounds where the wraparound itself had a story. VHS 94 kind of attempted the same thing, but with less, you know, definitely diminishing returns awful. on that one. I, I won't go so far as to say awful. It ended terribly, I will say that, but it the, started, the, you know, the with general the whole concept, police yeah. rape. The, the, general, yeah, the general, general concept, is, yeah. Yeah, the, the idea is but then like, once, yeah, where it went. Exactly. Once we get the reveal of those two women, you know, are the master, the masterminds, I, I just kind of lost it for the wraparound. But, man... Uh, viral and this one both have very oddball wraparounds that you, I mean, I guess you can call it a wraparound because technically after every, at least after the first three segments, we go back to the wraparound, but then after that we lose it, which is a weird decision on their part. It's kind of like the decision in Rec 3 to go from found footage to a full production movie about halfway through. That was very jarring to me. It freaked me the fuck out, and I remember not liking it the first time I saw it. I'm like, this is not what this movie is supposed to be, and I was very upset about it. Um, and this movie, VHS 99, makes me kind of feel the same way, that this franchise deserves so much better than what we got, you know? And ultimately, I was mildly excited with some of the directors that were working on this, but... Yeah, ultimately, no no single story in this movie really hit for me, you know? Um, varying elements from each story hit, but that's about it, sadly. Yeah, that's what confused me about, like, the... Not the very opening with the little... It looked like maybe a stop-motion toy stuff. It, it was <laughs> the, the teenager stuff. Like, I was like, what is this? I was like, is this, like, an actual segment? Is this a wraparound? And then they just kind of, like went away from it and i was like uh, yeah it's really odd because i was actually i was like don i was actually starting to get into the toy soldiers you know kind of parody thing uh in my notes i put down i, I called it toy soldiers 2 the plastic armageddon and i was actually getting into that and and but then out of nowhere we get a douchey older brother taking the camera from his younger brother and then we watch what for the next two minutes this idiot posing in front of a camera in front of a mirror a full length mirror like he's at a gym or something and of course he's not nearly as big and cut as he thinks he is but so it's hysterical to you know watch, sit there and watch him kind of complimenting himself but it derails the whole thing. And like I said, that's where we lose our wraparound. We, there's no more wraparound after that. And that's upsetting to me. You know, I'm a guy who likes his wraparounds with his uh, um, anthology films. And yeah, man, Viral and this one had just the weirdest fucking wraparounds. Mm, yeah. I couldn't even tell you what Viral's was. It was just some guy chasing an ambulance for the whole episode. <laughs> Yeah, I so barely even remember that. <laughs> yeah, and then I, the end, because they actually end the wraparound in VHS Viral, where he actually finally catches up to the ambulance, and it turns out it's it's like the center for where they're going to upload all of these viral videos to destroy the world, blah, blah, blah. It's just not good. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. VHS, man, like, can we just go back to the old wraparounds? Like, I, you know, in the first movie, we got those guys breaking into a house. 
um, to, to retrieve a videotape that, you know, they were specifically told to go get a videotape. That's acceptable. In the second segment, er, excuse me, in the second VHS film, we get the man and woman who are breaking into a house, not looking for a video, but just looking, you know, they're just robbing the place, basically. Like those, you know, I know you don't want to rehash the same shit over and over again, just a different group of people breaking into somebody's house that has, you know, a hundred VHS tapes lying around, but man, a couple of these wraparounds are just not good. So, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I hate to say it because I love the franchise, but yeah, this wraparound, um, like I said, if they would have gone, if they would have finished it, I think it might've been cool. If, they, if they'd have given us Toy Soldiers 2 for the duration of the movie, I think it would have added a little bit of levity to the whole thing. And, you know, we could have had a good laugh, but like, I, I just found myself frustrated when, you know, uh, the big brother took the camera away. I'm like, what the fuck? I'd rather watch toy soldiers than this douchebag posing in front of a mirror, but you know, whatever. <laughs> I guess they got to put something in there for the ladies. <laughs> that segment made me just think of American pie, but a horror version. If you Thank you. From it. <laughs> yep. that, the whole time I was like, wow, this, this looks like that part of the story in American Pie. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Any, anything else we can say spoiler-free? Uh, I don't know. I think we're probably ready for spoilers here. All right. Well, I figure we'll just have a general discussion about the individual segments. We've already talked about the wraparound. Like I said, it's a kid uh, with a you know camcorder filming his toy soldiers. He's doing like stop motion animation. He's doing some funny shit with them, cutting them in half. He's got like ketchup packets for blood and like uh, what do you call it? Toy tanks running over the, the uh, toy soldiers and then blood appearing underneath them. I like I'm looking at it and thinking, you know, uh, this isn't bad for a kid with a camcorder in his bedroom, you know. Um, obviously, this is VHS, so you know, there's more than it's more than just a kid with a camcorder. But if I would if I would have seen that. Like like a neighbor kid was like, oh, I made a movie. You want to watch it? And that's what he gave me. I'd be like, dude, this is really good. <laughs> like, you should look into a career with, with this, depending on how old he is, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's our wraparound. I'm not going to bring it up again. Um, our first segment is called Shredding. Uh, we are basically introduced to a punk band named Rack. And they are planning on performing in a part of the catacombs where... Um, sometime before this, there was a fire and a band called Bitch Cat got uh, basically was they were the only casualties of this fire. Basically, they're, they got trampled by their own fans. Like all basically all their fans got out, but they killed all four members of Bitch Cat. So Rack goes down to the catacombs. And of course, it's a horror movie, so we know what we're getting. You know, we get some, you know, uh, some voices here and there. We 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 get the kids playing pranks on their drummer. Which by the by the third prank, I was just over it. I was just so sick of these kids. I'm like, I want to see these kids die. Like literally, I wanted to see Ankar live and the other three die. But of course, um, as is expected. This band, Rack, you know, while they're in the catacombs, kind of fucking around with their drummer, they eventually are attacked by the real Bitch Cat. And the design, I mean, they are, they are very zombie-like, but, like, they're some of the coolest-looking zombies I've seen probably since Tar Man. Like, like I, I actually really like the zombie design on Bitch Cat. I thought that was really fucking cool. What would you guys think? 
Yeah, definitely. It's uh, the easily the only uh, redeemable part of the segment for me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I can't stand any of the three or the, the four. I mean, Anker is not bad. Yeah. But I, the fact that he stupidly goes along and falls for some of the stupid pranks, I, I don't blame him, but it's just kind of like, okay, dude, come on, why are you still hanging around with him? Exactly. <laughs> and, yeah, the, 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 that's the thing about this segment. I think once the actual like punk rock zombies show up, okay, cool. But everything before that is like, okay, when are, what's going on? Hurry up, yeah. get to something. It's literally okay here. I mean, the idea is not bad. I, I kind of like the little yeah. backs. I like the idea of the backstory. You know, like they're going to be like the only ones that have ever played this club since this incident. And you have you know, the backstory with the fire and the tragedy, and you know, like the the small town little legend that's associated with it. That feels kind of realistic, and it kind of adds like a little nostalgic bent to it, but. Yeah, it just takes too long for the ghost to sh- for the ghost or the zombies or whatever the hell they are to show up, and then, to, you know, I, again, like, how in the hell is this being filmed? Like, why is anyone even yeah. holding a camera, watching you know these zombies go around rip your bandmates to pieces? Like, yeah, what's funny is that at one point when the zombies first show up after they kill the first kid. The girl actually picks up the camera before she runs away. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Who picks up the camera? Uh, that's a, yeah, Don, Don is right. The, one of the biggest problems with this movie is why is anybody holding a camera? The hell, you know, to hell and back. No fucking sense why that kid is still holding a camera. Like, literally. And, and I, don't, don't forget, folks, I am a found footage apologist. Like, I, I will try to find a reason why they're holding the camera. But with some of the segments in this one, I don't know what the point was. Um, the Ozzy's dungeon. Why does she have the son holding the camera the entire fucking time, even once the horror starts? Uh, I, yeah, yeah, Don's 100% right on that one. Uh, yeah. No excuse for holding a camera here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're literally in the catacombs. You're You're somewhere that you're not familiar with, where you're not safe, and literally the first thing she thought of is to grab the camera. Now, that proves to me that they aren't real musicians, because if it was me, I'd have grabbed my bass. That would have been the first thing I grabbed as I'm running out of there. Fuck the camera. I don't give a shit about that. I don't care if it's rented. It doesn't belong to me. I don't care. I'm saving my bass, 100%. Right, I mean... You know, you you always have to stand by, you know, the camera's got night vision. I mean, you know, that's always mm-hmm. like the standby. But, I mean, even that's not even used here. Nope. I mean, no, you know, the, yeah, I, I mean, you know, to me, that's always been my standby. You know, the camera's got night vision. You know, you can at least use that. But, yeah, even, even still, uh, the idea that... What goes on in here is being filmed. Yeah, that uh, that to me just takes it right, right after the just absolute insanity with the kids. I mean, I don't give mm-hmm. two flying fucks about watching these kids skateboard and use like '90s teen <laughs> slang. Yep, exactly. That, that and that's what a lot of these segments had. Like this one and the Gawkers. Both of these segments had very long introductions with these you know young douchey characters, and it's like, why are you forcing me to watch so much of these kids? Like, you could literally give me a 30-second scene that'll establish that they're assholes. That's all I need. Instead, you're making me watch half a fucking segment, you know, especially with the Gawkers. There's not much to that segment at all. Like, yeah, once once the creature... I... Well, I mean, we'll get there, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. 
I, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's a problem not just in this segment, but throughout the film as a whole. It's just unfortunate that we're getting it in the first segment to get us off to a bad note. Exactly. Um, and then to pretty much uh, finish off this segment, um, uh, Bitch Cat, the zombie Bitch Cat, uh, does eventually get their revenge against Rack, all four members of Rack. Even even the, like I, like I was saying, Ankar was probably the only likable character. He was he was the only character who even prepared uh, for the potential of running into the dead. Like he uh, apparently, I don't know, maybe he's got like a a bruja in his uh, you know in his family, you know, a wannabe witch, and she gave him some powder because she he actually uses some kind of powder on one of the uh, zombies and it does seem to affect them even though it doesn't take them out completely because by the end of the segment all four zombies are still there and then uh the segment basically ends with uh the final member of the band that's still alive is the girl and we end up seeing her getting attacked by two members of bitch cat and they basically rip her to pieces literally arms legs head torso they just basically rip it all into chunks and then what they end up doing is creating rock star marionettes, as I put in my notes. Uh, literally, the zombies made marionettes out of the members of Rack. And we actually, the final image of that segment is just them on stage, you know, with all their separate parts held together with like wire or something. I'm not sure. These were some pretty industrious zombies, I got to say. Um, but yeah, I actually did kind of enjoy that final image, especially because I hated all four of those kids so much. Just to see their body parts kind of controlled by strings and shit, I thought that was funny. <laughs> Rockstar marionettes. <laughs> all right, so after that, we come back to our wraparound. You know, more toy soldiers being attacked and killed off. Into our second segment, which is called the suicide bid. Um, this is this is a pretty quick one. It's basically just a hazing story, um, though it you know does have elements of a revenge story. Uh, basically, uh, a girl I forget her name. I don't care that much. Uh, she's basically rushing uh, a sorority. You know, she's a freshman. Anybody out there who's been to college knows what rush week is. It's basically when you rush all the different fraternities and sororities to try to find one to join that'll accept you. Uh, or one that you really want to be a part of, whatever the case may be. So, like I said, we're introduced to a college student who, you know, she's kind of, in the first scene, she's kind of shitty to her roommate. Like, her roommate is one of those girls that has no interest in her fraternity. She only cares about, like, schooling. <clears throat> and it basically gets made fun of because of that, because she, does, she wants nothing to do with sororities. Um, her roommate basically makes fun of her. She goes off to her sorority rush, and uh, she does something called a suicide bid. And what a suicide bid is, is when you put all your eggs in one basket. In other words, you're only rushing one sorority or fraternity. The whole point of rush week at college is to go and try out for as many frats or sororities as you can, because they're not all going to accept you. You know, you want to try to get accepted by a couple so that you could pick the one that you really want to go to. A suicide bid is basically where this woman only rushes one sorority, and if that sorority doesn't accept her, no other sorority will take her. Like, literally, she will not get to join a sorority if the one sorority that she wants to be a part of um, doesn't accept her. So uh, kind of taking a weird chance, I guess, but there you go. Um, we, we then are uh, proceeded to the 
cemetery. Uh, a mortuary first before we actually go out to the cemetery proper. And this is where we get the backstory of guillotine. Now, in the movie, I thought they were saying guillotine, as in the French beheading tool. But I, I turned on the subtitles, and it's actually guillotine, G-I-L-L-T-I-N-E. Now, maybe it's a wordplay, but this, this creature has not been decapitated, so I'm not sure what kind of wordplay that would be, but whatever. Her name is Guillotine. Uh, basically, she rushed. She did a suicide bid for this same sorority, and the hazing ritual that they put her through was that they buried her alive in a coffin in a cemetery. They actually dug up a plot, put this person in, in a casket, buried them alive, and they were supposed to stay in there for 24 hours. Unfortunately, because of some turn of events that we weren't privy to, she ended up staying under there for over a week. And that when they finally yeah. dug her up, of course, she was dead. Because you can't survive in a coffin for a week, my friends. I can't even believe you can survive in there for 24 hours. But whatever. What do I know? Um, so, yeah. So, like I said, uh, the sorority sisters take, um, you know, the girl that's uh, rushing and they basically do the same challenge. They tell her, well, um, if, since this is a suicide bid, if you can do this challenge, then you're automatically in. And it's the same challenge as guillotine. Uh, be buried in a, in a casket six feet under and stay there for 24 hours. Um, they do also give you a camera. The sorority sisters actually gave uh, the girl in the casket a camera. Um, they claim it was so that they want to see her scared face. They want to see how scared she gets in there. Obviously, we know it's a found footage movie, so they have to throw like, a camera. We need it for the movie. <laughs> exactly. Six cameras for everybody. So, so anyway, yeah. Um, before she's buried, before the girl is buried, uh, she's given a box. Well, she's given the camera, like I said, but then she's given a small box, too. Uh, and one of the sorority sisters says, if, if you're about to pull... Be, um, I forgot to mention, they do set up like a, a pulley system with a bell on top so that it's like her panic button. So, you know, if she panics, they can take her out. But they've already warned her if she panics and doesn't stay the whole 24 hours, she's automatically omitted from contention. So, uh, so like I said, they give her a box and they tell her, if you think you're going to pull the string, open this box and it'll help pull you through. Did anybody else believe that shit? Like, the instant they handed no. her that box, I'm like, are you? No, don't even take the box with you. <laughs> Honestly, though, I didn't think what was in the box was going to be in the box. Uh, I'll tell you what I thought. Um, but we end up, as, as I've already mentioned, they bury the scroll alive. Now, they don't actually fill in the plot. The, the casket is six feet under, but they don't actually fill the entire hole with dirt. All they do is they just put, they shovel in enough dirt in there to just cover up the top of it so that the girl inside believes that she's buried alive. But actually, there's only a couple of inches of dirt on the coffin. And, of course, the sorority sisters are fucking with her. Um, they tell her, you know, before they locked her in the box, they tell her the story of guillotine and how um, other sorority sisters that have taken this challenge since then have claimed to see guillotine. Like, she'll actually, like, underground, she'll actually, like, scratch and knock at the side of the coffin and, uh, you know, uh, the girl uh, the girl in the coffin is given the advice, don't let Guillotine know you're in there or she'll break in and kill you. Um, and, of course, it's just the girls tapping on the top of the box with, like, a long staff, blah, blah, blah. The long and the short of it is just as uh, they're about to leave, 
uh, it starts raining. And after it starts raining, the police show up, um, the campus police, I'm assuming. It might be local city police, too. I don't know. But, um, yeah, a, a police car shows up. It's raining heavily. The girls are like, shit, we can't stay here. If we get caught hazing, we're all going to get kicked out. Um, so they all decide, okay, fuck it, we'll leave and come back. Now, mind you, it's raining, my friends, and it is a downpour, and her casket is not fully covered. There's only a couple of inches of dirt on it. So the inevitable happens. The hole starts to fill up with water because it's raining so hard, and water starts you know, getting into the coffin. Our girl inside starts panicking when water starts getting in. Uh, and then the top of the coffin, like, uh, yeah, the top, the lid of the coffin itself starts to crack from the weight of the water on top of it. She starts panicking, freaking out. And then she looks out the little window on top of the casket. And there is Guillotine. We see her for the first time. Very cool design. Um, very similar to the Grave Dancers. I don't know if anybody's seen the Grave Dancers, but the ghosts in that movie look a lot like Guillotine in this one. And I love that movie, so um, it makes sense that I like Guillotine, too. I, li I like the way she looked, just big, white, just big, bugged out, white eyes, no pupils, no nothing, just, you know, very demonic looking. And um, basically, Guillotine gets into the coffin, grabs our girl, and then it fades to black. That's the end of the scene. So what we then see is somehow the camera that was in the coffin with the girl somehow gets out of the coffin and gets uh, up on top on the ground just above the hole. And then we see a fast forward of the next five hours and water just building and building and building until finally it's 6 a.m. and the hole is completely covered in water. It's just anything that's down in there is just deader than shit. The girls come back. One of them, actually two of them, which I was kind of shocked about for sorority girls, like, like you know, for good-looking, I assume, rich sorority girls, two of them have no problem jumping right into the muddy hole. And um, when the first one goes down in there, she says, um, she's gone. There's nobody in the casket. It's empty. And then kind of the ringleader of the sorority sisters also jumps into the hole to kind of verify that. And they're like, yeah, she's gone. There's nobody in the casket. It's still buried underwater, obviously, but there's nobody down there. So they all decide to do what any, you know, shitty college kids would do. They decide never to speak of this again and just, you know, we never went out last night. We, we, were, at the, we were all at the sorority house. That's what we're going to tell anybody who comes asking. Um, and then basically what happens is the, the girls end up going home that evening and going to bed. But then literally seconds after they go to bed, all five of them, I, I forget if it was four or five, I think it was five girls in total, the sorority sisters, all five of them wake up inside of an empty casket of one of the plain wood caskets, just like they buried um, the first girl in. They're all buried in there. They all have a camcorder with them. So apparently Guillotine has access to a radio shack because she provided camcorders for everybody. And then basically we see all five of the girls, you know, start to panic in sequence. You know, they all start to freak out. And then finally we see our original girl crash into one of the caskets, the caskets of the ringleader, if you will. And she basically says, I made a deal with Gilly. I told her if she would spare me, I would give her someone else instead. 
And I promised her the entire sorority, because like I said, this is the sorority that actually did, is responsible for Gilly's death, Giltine's death, you know, years ago. And literally that, basically we see, um, we see the ringleader kind of turn around and there's one last shot of Giltine right there behind her. Bing, bang, boom. That's the end of our second segment. Um, as I said, I, I do like this one. It's tense. Um, obviously, I, I skipped the box altogether. Obviously, right before our first girl is about to pull on the string, the panic button, she decides to open the box like the sorority sister told her. And, of course, inside there's about a dozen big black spiders, just fucking big, Mm -hmm. nasty things. She's, of course, freaking out under there, which kind of starts the whole thing of the sorority sisters up top laughing at her and then poking at the casket and everything else. So blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, that is the suicide bid. I don't actually have um, director and writer credits. Uh, so let's see. The suicide bid was directed Joannis by... Roberts. That's Joannis, it. Joannis Roberts, yeah. Yep. Yeah, this one, was kind of, this one was kind of straight to the point, at least, but I, I did kind of find it like... I know that the girls, the rest of the sorority girls wanted to get out of there because, like, the cops are showing up, but it's like, come on, girls. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know she's not going to survive this if you just leave. Like, at some point, it's like, you should have probably come back a lot sooner or just like hid while the cops were like out there and then but waited nearby. Because, like, what do you expect is going to happen if you leave someone in a coffin for that long? Exactly. Yeah, they knew what they were doing. Um, Obviously, they were condemning someone to death, but ultimately they got their comeuppance at the end. So, yay. (laughs) It almost felt like a Tales from the Crypt segment. It really did. A lot of these segments did. Like I said, uh, these first four segments being all revenge stories with young casts, they, they just felt kind of the same to me, other than our next segment, which actually does take a little bit of a left turn halfway through the segment. All right. So after our second segment, we are back to uh, our wraparound. And then they actually did. Did you guys notice the homage to VHS 94? Um, if you guys remember, the first segment of VHS 94 had to do with Ratma, the rat man monster living in the sewer. Um, during this uh, third part of the wraparound, we actually see the kid having his soldiers fight a giant rat monster. He just calls it a rat monster, but I'm like, oh, it's Ratma. Awesome. So there you go. There's your uh, little reference to the last movie for you. And that leads us into our third segment, which is Ozzy's Dungeon. Um, this is this is definitely one that's um, I think it's going to be very divisive. Um, you know, I, I can see how some people are going to like it because the first half is very different from the second half. But I can also see kind of like Mike's point where this segment really is too long. Um, this segment could have almost been chopped in half and we still would have gotten the gist of the story, you know. Um, there's a part of the story where they're walking through a cavern, like a cave, for like three minutes. It's like, okay, just get there. This doesn't make any sense. So, yeah. So, Ozzy's Dungeon basically starts out, as I mentioned earlier, with a du- it's like a double dare parody where, like, family members would, you know, compete in physical challenges for, you know, pro- money and prizes, things like that. And uh, what the the concept of Ozzy's Dungeon is that if anyone is able to complete the final obstacle course, like you you have to do different challenges throughout the episode just to be able to try the obstacle course at the end of the uh, at the end. And then if you successfully traverse that obstacle course in the time that provided, which I think is 60 seconds, 
you get a wish granted. Basically, you are allowed into Ozzy's dungeon and you are granted a wish. So, um, let's see. So at this point, uh, we are watching a new episode of the show and there's a little girl that we are following throughout this story. Was it Donna? I think her name was Donna or Diana. God damn it. Why can't I think of it? Uh, stage hand. Donna. Yes, I was right. Okay. So Donna is our uh, protagonist for this uh, segment. She is, you know, she's on the, uh, she's on the show. She's performing really well. She's completing all the challenges. And finally, when we get to the end of the episode, it's down to two kids, Donna and this kind of bully looking white kid who looks way too big to be on this show, but whatever. And they're basically sent through this obstacle course at the same time. So not only do they have to beat their opponent, they have to finish the course in 60 seconds. What ends up happening is Donna ends up taking the lead. She's ahead of the kid. And then she's literally about to exit the final tunnel in the obstacle course. And somehow, I don't know if the kid, the white kid, did it on purpose. Because, I, like I said, I watched it three times. It almost seems like the kid did do it on purpose. But basically, Donna's leg gets caught somewhere near the exit of the tunnel, and it breaks. But it breaks in the gnarliest fucking way ever. Like, it's, it's, it's not a compound fracture, but it's an open wound. Like, they're, it, it's completely open. It, it, it's almost unrealistically open. But I fucking loved it. I thought it was a cool leg break. Um, and then, of course, you know, the show kind of ends, or that, that particular episode of the show ends with Donna's family members yelling and crying and, you know, everything else, while Donna is basically writhing on the ground saying, oh, can, can you stop the show? Please stop the show. But, of course, you know, the cameramen are still right on top of her, showing her mangled leg. Like, I don't know what the fuck kind of kid show this was. Like, the very first challenge of this show was a balloon popping challenge where they literally put a balloon, uh, they taped the balloon to the chest of every kid, and then they gave every kid a helmet with fucking uh, elk horns on it, fucking antlers, real ones. I'm not talking plastic. I mean, like, fucking antlers. And then they make them, they basically say, pop that balloon. So the intention is for the kid to put their head down, run towards another kid, and pop the balloon on their chest. As you can see, half the kids in the segment are all hurt. Uh, they're out. It, it doesn't get nearly as gnarly as you would think it might, but, you know, just to see these kids kind of writhing on the ground, you know, it, it might bring some, you know, emotion to somebody. Uh, for me, I just found it funny. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, like I said, Donna and her family, have, you know, are now, have they've left the show, and it is now, at, it's got to be at least two or three years later, because Donna was a little girl during the episode, and now she's a legit teenager. Um, a very goth teenager, I might add. She kind of looked cute, actually. Um, but anyway, it's a couple of years later, and what we see is the original show, the original talk show host, by the way, played brilliantly by Stephen Ogg, who... Um, you guys would know him from The Walking Dead. He also did the voice of Trevor in Grand Theft Auto V. Just absolutely love this guy. Um, but uh, he plays the, the, the game show host on this one. And like I said, when the second half of the segment starts, we see that he's been stripped naked and he's in a dog cage. Like he's in one of those small kennel type cages. 
And then as the camera pans out, we see that it's Donna's family. We see Donna in a wheelchair, her mother, her father, her brother, and they've got this guy in a cage. So obviously another revenge story. And, you know, basically exactly what you would expect. Uh, the family puts together their own version of the obstacle course in their basement. Um, they threaten him with acid. Uh, the mom, who was actually pretty funny, I, I, I will say, I thought the mom was very entertaining in this segment. I just right from the start, she's very emotional. At one point, she almost has a heart attack, but I can't stop laughing because it's kind of funny. Um, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As the more the story of this one goes, it's like, damn, who isn't a monster in this segment? Exactly. Everyone is a monster in this one, except, well, I'll save that for the end. Okay, so as, as I've already set up, the family has kidnapped the game show host. It's multiple years later. The show's been off the air, but apparently it took this family this long to get this elaborate revenge scheme put together. Um, you know, they they make him go through the first challenge, the balloon challenge, but they don't even bother putting a balloon on his chest. They just have the little brother put on a helmet with a bunch of like butcher knives on top. And he just does a bull charge right at the hose, stabs him through the midsection. It, it's bleeding so profusely. I thought that was going to be enough to kill him. I mean, it, a lot of blood was coming out of that wound, but he survives. And, um, you know, they... They threaten him with the acid. Like I said, the mom has a, a, a small glass bottle of acid that she, she pours a little bit of it on the ground to show him that it's real acid. And she's constantly threatening him. Uh, basically, every time he says, what if I don't want to go through, what if I refuse to go through the tunnel? She just kind of shakes the bottle of acid in his face and he instantly relents. Um, so, of course... He goes through uh, the physical, the, the actual tunnel, yeah, not the tunnel, but the, uh, the obstacle course. Um, they make the obstacle course just way, way nasty. There's like a pool of piss at the bottom of the slide. There's a tunnel with actual feces on it that he's like rooting through, looking for a flag, you know, just like on Double Dare, if you guys remember. Um, and finally, he gets to the end of the obstacle course, and he his his head comes out of the tunnel exit just as the timer is, uh, expires. So I'm wondering, you know, are they going to count that? But of course, this is a revenge story, so we know where it's going. The mom instantly says, "Oh, you're just a couple of seconds too late. I'm so sorry." They pick him up, they pick up the host, they tie him back up to the pole. And mom takes a syringe, a fucking surgical syringe, not a, a little dinky one, one of those big ass ones. She fills it with the acid and she's literally about to poke it in his fucking eye and, you know, depress it and put all that fucking acid, which I would imagine would be fairly instant death. Um, but then just before she injects, he says, I can grant you your wish. I can grant you your wish. And and obviously the mom doesn't believe him. She's like, shut the fuck up. You're, you're just talking to try to, you know, save yourself. And he's like, no, no, no. I know Ozzy. No wish was ever granted, and they're still there. And, and the mom's talking about, like, it's been off the air for two years. How can it still be there? And he said, you know, I'll take you there. And so that's exactly what happens. He takes them back to the original set. The set that looks abandoned. It looks like it's been a couple of years since anybody's used it. And then he gets up to the entrance of, you know, Ozzy's dungeon, which no one's ever seen because no one's ever completed 
um, the, the obstacle course. Basically, over the course of the entire show, no one ever won the final prize. And that's why I would imagine that's why the family thought the game was rigged so that no kid could possibly win it. And then, of course, because of the injury to Donna's leg, you know, they were all pissed off, blah, 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 blah. What ends up what we end up seeing is we see the entrance to Ozzy's dungeon, which we've seen in the past uh, from the episode of the show that we watched earlier. And when the dungeon opens, the, his co-host, the host's co-host, like spokesmodel, whatever you want to go with, uh, is still there. Like, she's still standing guard years after the show's gone off the air. So instantly, you know, we're like, oh, shit, there might be something to this. They start going through this uh, cave, you know, this series of caves, which th this is what kind of dragged. It's like... Like I said, it felt like it was a solid two to three minutes of just walking around a cave, and it just really started to irk me after a while. But then what we end up getting is when they get to the end of the tunnel, they get to Ozzy, and we actually see Ozzy. Ozzy is basically this ridiculously large woman, like bedridden, like she couldn't possibly walk. You know, she looks like she's like eight, nine hundred pounds, maybe more. And uh, the, the show, the show host says to Donna, okay, go ahead and make your wish. And then he says to her, make it count. You know, obviously she's going to be the first person to get their wish granted. That was a cool thing about the, uh, that I did kind of like about this segment is that, you know, they, they made it sound like they were going to grant a kid's wish as in, you know, make a wish foundation type stuff. But they were being literal, like this creature will literally grant the kid whatever they wish for. We see Donna lean over towards um, Ozzy and starts to whisper something into uh, her ear. Uh, yeah, I said her. It is a woman. Um, it is yeah, a she looks large. Like the, she kind of looks like that large thing from Blade that got yes. the UV rays. I was actually going to say that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's, very, that's very what it reminded me of. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. So, um, we see Donna lean over, make the wish, and then suddenly we see the midsection of Ozzy as she's laying in the bed rip open, just completely tear open. And we see some kind of Lovecraftian nightmare basically pop out of the, the wound. It, it, you know, basically it's got tentacles, it's got glowing red eyes. It, it, it's mildly... Um, a humanoid form, but like I said, with tentacles and, you know, very gnarly looking. And then the first thing we see is that is the game show host's face melt off. Like he puts his hands on his face and when he pulls his hands away, the, his face comes off with it. So, yeah, his face is melting. But then suddenly the creature turns towards Donna's family, the mother, the father and the, the little brother. And then does the exact same thing to them, fucking melts their fucking faces off. How brother is still holding the camera up at this point is beyond me, but, you know, there it is. And just as the segment is ending, we see the camera pan towards Donna, and she's got this, like, sly, evil grin on her face. So, yeah, apparently Donna was sick of her family shit <laughs> and took him out. Now, my question is, do you think that Donna never wanted to be a part of this revenge scheme, that it was all her family and that she was just sick of them pushing it on her? Or 
do you think that it goes back even farther? Maybe Donna never wanted to be an actress or a personality, a celebrity of any kind, but her mother was constantly pushing it. Like that was the biggest thing that mom was pissed off about was that after Donna hurt her leg, she lost her chance of stardom. You know, she's now got this nasty looking leg that, I mean, I don't understand why you can't just wear pants, but whatever. Um, so yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking either Donna never wanted to be a, you know, a celebrity and she's been wanting to do this to her family the whole time, or it was the revenge plan where she, maybe she was just like, I just want to be done with it. I don't want any part of this, but the family maybe kept pushing it on her, pushing it on her because Donna never smiled once in the second half of this segment. She always has this sullen look on her face, sometimes vaguely angry, sometimes vaguely sad, but just never happy. So, yeah, there you go. I don't know how Donna worded her wish specifically since we don't hear it, but that's my interpretation anyway. I don't know if you guys maybe have a different one, but maybe maybe her wish is she wanted to be free or something. So the yeah, that's what I was figuring. Yeah, I'll eliminate everybody. But yeah, I kind of feeling that. Yeah, at the at the least, I think she didn't probably want to be a part of the revenge plot, and then it was also like the overbearing family of like trying to force her into being yeah. like in the entertainment industry. So it was probably all encompassing. Exactly. I'm wondering what happens to Donna now. I'm one of those people who wonders what happens when horror movies end, because Donna is basically she's stuck in a wheelchair, and now she has no family. Like, is she just going to stay with Ozzy in the dungeon and just live there? <laughs> I don't know. This is the shit that my mind thinks of when I'm watching horror. Sorry, folks. All right. So after Ozzy's dungeon, uh, we go back to the wraparound, and that's where we get the final little bit of the wraparound where, as I mentioned, the kid who's filming the stop-motion toy soldiers gets the camera taken away from him by his older brother. We see him posing in front of the camera for a few minutes, and then we go to our fourth segment, which is called The Gawkers. This is the segment that I have the most issues with. Like, I feel like this segment is just... I feel like it's unfinished. Like, I don't think they actually finished it. Not just from a story standpoint, but even the effects. Like, I thought the effects even didn't look that great, but, you know, that's just me. Um, so what we get with the Gawkers is basically another story of kids being stupid, you know, being just, you know, being vapid little empty-headed kids going around skateboarding, blah, blah, blah. We get we get a, a nice little piece of foreshadowing here because in one scene early on, the kids find like a piece of shed skin that looks like snake skin, but it's like impossibly big. Like it, it shouldn't like. You know, it, 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 it would almost be like the, the snake from Anaconda from that stupid movie um, that I that I actually love. But whatever, it's still a stupid movie. Um, so, like I said, they find this piece of shed skin on the beach. One of the kids picks it up, but they don't really make a big deal about it. They just kind of look at it, throw it around for a little bit and then go. So that's your first bit of foreshadowing. Um and what, then we find out that these kids um, all live in the same neighborhood as this single woman, this, you know, very trophy wife looking, you know, blonde, tall, statuesque, beautiful, you know, blah, blah, blah. Your traditional, you know, like I said, just beautiful blonde milf, if you will, excuse the term. And, you know, she lives alone. So the kids are basically... You know, they want to try to do something to not to this woman necessarily, but, you know, 
they want to try to see in her house. So what ends up happening is the woman buys a new iMac. And she, this is in the days when webcams didn't, weren't included in your computers. So she actually bought her iMac and uh, a webcam, but she didn't know how to set up the webcam. Uh, she ends up making friends with the younger brother, the kid who's not really part of the group of douchebags. You know, like I said, he's the younger brother who doesn't get included in things. He ends up developing developing a relationship with the woman, um, not romantic, obviously, but, um, you know, just like being friendly with her. And then eventually um, he agrees to install her webcam because the kid is like, you know, tech savvy, um, you know, for 1999 anyway. Um, at this point, the older brother has the idea of can you put spyware on her computer? set up her webcam, and then install spyware so that we can kind of watch her, so that we can see the shit that she does in her bedroom. The little brother obviously is kind of standoffish, doesn't really want to do it. He's worried about the implications, blah, blah, blah. But of course, it's a little brother being pressured by a big brother and his big friends. So, of course, the little brother relents. Um, the night comes where he has to go and install the webcam. He goes across the street. He installs the webcam. We see him install like a flash drive into the Mac. And that's, I guess, the spyware. And he successfully gets the spyware on our computer and then just, you know, leaves for the evening. Ends up going back home. Um, and this is 99, mind you, so it's not like you can just turn on a program and you're instantly looking at this woman. Like, uh, this kid had to write, you know, he had to write some code. Finally, he gets to spy, he gets his computer to connect with the, the beautiful woman's computer, and now they can see her. And they basically are watching her. She's on the computer, actually using it, you know, looking up things, you know, blah, blah, blah. They can't see what she's looking at on her screen. They can only see her. And then at one point, the woman stands up and we see that she starts to undress, which, of course, makes these little 15-year-old douchebags ultra excitable. Um, first, she takes off her shirt. She still has a bra on. Obviously, as I said, very well built, very beautiful woman. Then she takes her bra off and, you know, we get bare boobs. The kids are obviously excited. Um, the kid who actually installed the spyware, the little brother, he's kind of standing off to the side because he doesn't really want to be a part of it, even though he did this. It was his doing. He doesn't want to really, you know, be one of those perverts who's watching her. So this woman is now standing topless in front of her computer, and she's kind of stretching. She's stretching her arms. She's stretching her shoulders. And then at one point, her left arm bends backwards. It bends in the wrong direction. And we hear a crack. We hear the, the classic bone cracking sound. She does the same thing with her other arm. And suddenly her arms are kind of contorted. They, they, don't, they still look human, but they're not in a human position. They're like cracked and contorted in a weird way. Suddenly, she reaches for her head and she pulls her hair off. Um, it's a wig. It's not like she's literally peeling her scalp off necessarily. Um, and then when the wig comes off, the guys are like, oh, shit. Oh, she has a wig. You know, they're, they're planning on making fun of her, blah, blah, blah. But then literally, just as they're about to make fun of her for wearing a wig, we get our reveal. And what we see is snakes start to come out of her head. And my friends, we have a Gorgon story or Medusa, if you'd like, if you'd like to use her by name. I don't know that this is actually the Medusa. That's why I say Gorgon, because there were more than one of those types of creatures. It's just Medusa is the famous one. 
So, yeah, it turns out this woman is a Gorgon, and she's got snakes for her hair, and she can fly. She actually sprouts wings at one point. And um, once she realizes, uh, she looks out her bedroom window, and she looks right at the kids who are across the street looking at her. She, um, she realizes what they're doing, and we see her kind of literally fly out of her house, and then we hear her land on the kids' house. Like, they're they're all in their bedroom and we can hear her on the roof kind of walking around. Suddenly she smashes through the wall, literally uh, just smashes right through and attacks one of the boys, basically pins them down on the bed and just starts peeling chunks of them off. Um, I'm not sure if she actually dismembered him, but I mean, we hear ripping and tearing. We see blood splurting on the wall. So he's, yeah, she's basically tearing his ass apart. Um, after she finishes with the first boy, um, the other uh, two of them run out of the bedroom. One of them is kind of frozen in shock, and it's unfortunate for him because um, as soon as he kind of comes out of his shock, he tries to run away, but, you know, she catches up to him. We don't actually see what she does to the second kid. We just kind of hear the sound effects. But then we get to the the bottom of the stairs where um, it's the two brothers that are left, the older brother and the younger brother. And basically she starts to walk down the stairs and she's all Medusa out topless. Like I said, um, the snakes, everything. And the younger brother basically starts to apologize, telling her, Sandra, I'm so sorry. I never, we never meant to hurt you. And then she does the roar, her eyes glow, and we see the little brother slowly turn to stone. Yes, his hands first. And then he actually completely turns to stone. The big brother is frozen in fear, still holding the camera, of course, after little brother has been turned into a goddamn statue. And then Medusa walks about halfway down the stairs and then looks at the kid. And then I start thinking, wait a minute, the, if they're recording this, does everyone who's watching this turn to stone in, in their world? Obviously, I'm not talking about the real world, but in their world, if someone saw this video, do they turn to stone? These are the questions I have, folks. Um, so anyway, she does. She does the same thing to the big brother, turns him into stone. And he turns into stone while still holding the camera. So the camera is actually still up in position. She gives one final roar into the camera and then fade the black. That is the end of the Gawkers. Um, and I then, like it. I said, there. I mean, no, I don't like it. I mean, little, it was quick. a little long, but I like the premise and I like where it went. I mean, sorry, yeah, no, it like, wasn't this long. Is, I, I just meant they pretty much got to it. Well, they, they still didn't get to it as quick as they could have. Like, this segment is probably twice as long as it needs to be because they had to set up how douchey these kids were, which, you know, I, I just assume all kids are douchey. I, I don't need that set up in a movie, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, they're, teen, they're teenage boys. What do you kind of exactly. expect in that situation? Yep. We didn't need all the exposition or the extra time. Just we know what's going to happen. Just get to it. I mean, not yeah. the reveal, but we know what they're going to do with the camera and all that webcam and stuff. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> all right. So as I said, uh, there's no more wraparound at this point. So segment four leads directly into segment segment five. And this is To Hell and Back, directed by Joseph and Vanessa Winter. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I didn't give you any of the directors. Let's go down the list real quick while I'm thinking about it. Um, Ozzy's Dungeon was directed by Flying Lotus. 
Um, Shredding was directed by Maggie Levin. The Gawkers was directed by Tyler McIntyre. Uh, Suicide Bid by Johannes uh, Roberts. And then, like I said, To Hell and Back, directed by Joseph and Vanessa Winter. So not as big a names as we're kind of used to in the VHS franchise, but, you know. At the same time, I don't mind young directors getting a chance. It's just uh, none of the segments here really impressed me, unfortunately. So what are you going to do? All right. So our final segment, To Hell and Back, starts out with a seance. We actually see, not a seance, I'm sorry, but it's a ritual of some kind. Basically, we see um, some witches or a cult, however you want to look at it. They're in black robes, and um, they're talking about um, summoning a demon, a demon named Ukaban, right? Yeah, Ukaban. And this one girl, this one member of the cult has kind of volunteered herself to be the human vessel for this demon. So she's literally volunteering to be possessed so that they can give this demon an earthly form and worship him, I guess, up close. I don't know. (laughs) All right. So um, basically they start the ritual. They lay the girl down on a table. They start reciting the magic words, if you will. They start repeating Ukaban, Ukaban, Ukaban. And then what happens is, um, a demon appears in the room, but it's not the demon that they summoned. It's not Ukaban. It's just some little shitty demon that apparently they've had experience with because one of them even says, it's him again. You know, we got that guy again. So basically, um, the two kids that were following, I say kids, but I, I don't think they're all that young. They're in their 20s, definitely. But basically, it's a camera crew that's kind of been hired to record the ritual. What ends up happening is um, they end up walking up to the altar where the girl, the volunteer, is laid out. And as they walk up to it, the demon, uh, the unwanted demon, reaches out from underneath and grabs them, grabs both of the kids, the camera, the cameraman and the interviewer. And the screen goes black for a second and then it comes back up and we're somewhere completely different. Um, it's pretty obvious we're in hell because, as I said earlier, this is a pretty, you know, color by numbers vision of hell. You know, you've got a lot of darkness, a lot of red sky when the lightning goes off. We see a big, what I can only assume is Satan type demon in the background, like a gigantic one. Um, so, yeah, it's fairly obvious our boys are in hell and they realize that they're in hell. They actually make the connotation that, shit, I think we're in hell. And then, like I said, you know, we get a lot of the same shit we always get, body parts kind of strewn around, different creatures, you know, walking around, you know, very night breed, if you will. You know, they run into one person who has no face. They run into another woman who actually has like a little tiny Godzilla body. It's weird. She, imagine like a two-foot Godzilla with a human head, and that's what this little person looked like in hell. Um, we run into a couple of a winged creature at one point. We see like a winged demon standing up on the top of one of the hills, you know, looking down, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, these kids, these these two guys are basically traversing hell. They're basically going through trying to figure out what the hell they're doing, what happened. Eventually, they do figure out that shit. Um, when they when they sent that demon back to hell, it was touching us and it must have sent us back as well. So literally these two boys are alive, but somehow in hell. 
Uh, and like I said, they, they, they meet multiple little characters, but then they finally meet someone who actually speaks to them. And her name is Mabel. And I'm not even 100% sure what Mabel is, because obviously Mabel's been there for a while. She doesn't feel um, like in danger. Like she actually is kind of a boss bitch. Um, you know, she's telling the guys, why are you yelling? You know, shut up. Something's going to hear you. Or at one point, one of the guys yells at her and she's like, uh, why would you speak to me in this way? Like instantly getting defensive. I, I actually did kind of like Mabel. She's got a very raspy voice, like she's been breathing brimstone or brimstone fumes for a long time. You know, she's got a lot of damage on her body, scrapes and boils and shit like that. But um when the boys basically explain to her what happened and they mention the ritual and the book, Mabel instantly is like, ooh, who are they trying to summon? Who are they trying to summon? And one of the boys remembers it was Ukaban. Ukaban was the name of the demon. And, she, and Mabel is like, oh, I know where Ukaban lives. I can take you there. And then maybe when they uh, pull Ukaban out of hell, you can go with him back up there. So, you know, <laughs> fucking brave to go out hunting a demon in hell, but that's what they decide to do. They end up going to Ukaban's um, domain, if you will. You can't really say house <laughs> in hell, but, you know, his little system of caves. And we can see that it's basically like two minutes to midnight, Iron Maiden reference. It's like a couple of minutes before midnight, and, you know, the boys are like... Um, we know that they're going to perform the ritual at exactly midnight because earlier in the segment, the main, the, the leader of the cult basically says, we're going to do the ritual at exactly midnight uh, on, you know, 1999, New Year's Eve, exactly midnight. Cause that's when the veil between the land of the living and the land of the dead is the thinnest, kind of the same thing we've heard about Halloween for years, but apparently it also happens at the end of the millennium. So, like I said, the boys end up getting to Ukaban's place. They dispatch a couple of demons, which, you know, th this is what kind of irks me about this segment. Like, these guys are practically professional demon hunters by the time this segment's over. Um, they were just scared, like, kids at first, and then literally within five minutes, they're killing demons. So, you know, little little grain of salt there you got to take it with, but... They end up finding Ukaban. They successfully get to him. Just before they get to Ukaban, right at midnight, we see Mabel get taken out by the winged demon that we saw earlier in the segment. Um, basically lands right on her, stabs her through the back with like a lance of some kind. Um, and, you know, just before she dies, she yells at them, don't forget, don't forget to put my name in the book. Basically the book that the cult is using um, Mabel apparently isn't a well-known demon or entity, whatever you want to call her. So they, she actually asks, when you go back, put my name in that book. I deserve to be in there. What ends up happening is um, the plan actually works. Go figure. Right at midnight, the boys rush Ukaban. They've already killed off all his toadies that he had around him. They rush Ukaban. They basically touch him right at midnight. And they're set back. But, of course, it's a horror movie, so there's a twist. One of the boys does come back as himself in his own body. But the other boy, the one who was holding the camera, 
is inside of the volunteer's body. Like, she's talking, but it's his voice coming out. Instantly, the witches realize, ah, shit, that's not the demon we wanted. That's somebody else. They don't even take the time to find out that it's the kid from earlier. They literally are like, once they hear his voice, they're like, oh, it's not Ukaban. And they just fucking stab him. Just stab the girl to death, you know, killing our cameraman, obviously. Our one survivor um, turns around to try to escape, but one of the cult members is there waiting for him with a shovel, smacks him in the face with the shovel. We see a big spurt of blood. No idea why this guy's still holding the camera, but again, you know, these segments are very weird when it comes to the camera. Uh, basically, just before our last kid dies, he basically he takes uh, the book, which is uh, sitting on the floor at this point, and with his own blood, he writes Mabel's name into the book. And then the segment ends, you know, making you think it's the end of the movie. We go through all the credits and then we do have an end credit sequence. Now, it's not video. It's just audio. And what it is, is the cult members. Um, just like earlier in the segment when they were chanting Ukaban's name over and over again, now they're chanting Mabel's name because Mabel's name appeared in blood in the book. And I don't think any of them noticed the kid actually do it. So they probably thought there was some kind of, you know, demonic intervention. And Mabel is now the one that they worship. So, yeah, they've abandoned Ukaban and now, and this is probably what Mabel wanted. This is probably why she wanted to be in that book so that potentially she could be, you know, brought back to the Earth realm or whatever. So, and that's VHS 99, my friends, just incredibly lackluster. I think we actually gave some of these segments more credit than they deserve. But, you know, what, what can we say? It's, it's not 94. I don't even know what to say after that. It's not 94. Yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't even like bring back any wraparound at the end. Like it just straight cut to credits after the segment. I was a little surprised. Yeah. Especially if you, like, start with it, because I could see, like, the justification for the wraparound disappearing in the middle of the movie, but not even bringing it back. Um, There was, like, a very tiny thing at the end, I think, at the end of the credits with the employee, but nothing significant. Yeah, the Mabel thing. Yeah. Yeah, you got to listen to me talk, Mike. <laughs> yeah, just because you have a mom, just because you have yourself on mute, doesn't mean nothing else is going on. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what can we say, folks? You know, it's still VHS, so I'll still watch it. I may never watch this entry again unless I have to for a show. But if it comes to just watching it for enjoyment, I'll stick to one, two, and ninety-four. Those are solidly the best ones. So the one thing I was going to say earlier now, when one, so yeah, I was going to say this, and we can still do it now. When one came out, two came out like immediately after, right? Like the year after or so. I believe so. Yes. Okay. So the one thing I was saying is that because two was Russian, very few tend to like two over one. Do you think because there was the layoff between viral and 94 with 94 being good, did rushing 90, 94 and 99 result in 99 being weaker? Uh, kind of. Um, uh, I, I think you're backwards be. on two and three. Two is the good one. 
Oh, two's the good one? Okay. Yeah, two is the good one. Three is viral. That's the one that's Okay, the yeah, well, I, said, I haven't seen any of them. Yeah, because when viral, yeah. when viral released, it was it was kind of thought of that like, that was going to wrap up the franchise, right? I think exactly. 90, 94 was kind of like a big surprise. Like, oh, they're, they decided to do a new one where I think viral, it wasn't immediately after two, but it was yep. soon enough to where, like, okay, it's going to be a trilogy. But yeah, I think um, I, I do think between ninety four and ninety nine, it was a short amount of time where they could have just like rushed this to like, hey, let's on the success of ninety four, which was mostly well received. They're like, okay, let's throw another one out there. Um, now coming on the heels before this one even released, we got the announcement of what eighty five is it going to be? I think it's eighty five. Yep. Yeah. Which is funny because like. I know they're playing around with the years now, but it's like, okay, like it's start, starting to not even matter. Like, okay, well, we we already know it's going to be like VHS beta, and let's say try to do like a beta thing. But I mean, other well, than that's that, what I that's know. what we the original title of VHS two was SVHS Super VHS for those who remember SVHS the very short-lived uh, format that literally probably didn't even last a year. But yeah. So when it was first announced, it was announced as SVHS. Like, I still have the poster. Um, but then they just changed it to VHS 2. They're going to run out of years eventually. The one thing I will say, though, is I do like how they keep up with, like, they're, they're real meticulous on references to the year. You know, like, there's an Ace Ventura reference in this movie, VHS 99. Totally makes sense. Um, I think there's another reference, um, and they even mention they do mention mobile phones in this one. Obviously, in '99, cell phones weren't commonplace. A lot of people still had them, but obviously, smartphones weren't around yet. But it it was kind of cool to see a character in here actually have one of those big portable phones, you know, like we had in the late '90s that most people probably never used. But my mother had one, so I remember it distinctly. But um, so hopefully VHS 95, I mean, we'll probably get, what, some Nightmare on Elm Street references. Uh, <laughs> so we're definitely going to get uh, a couple classic horror series because we're going to have a Jason one. We're probably going to have a Michael one. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if they ever like decide to go like next era and do like a DVD or something. Um, because I thought I thought with 99, they might kind of flirt with like the technology kind of in that transitional period because 99 like the early 2000s was kind of like that interesting period where like things were starting to get digital versions we weren't like completely in an all digital media world but there was definitely like the early you know early opinions of like it's you kind of had a choice like okay yes you can still do stuff on videotape but hey there's this new technology too, and I was kind of wondering if yeah, they would do a little more of that. Well, that's viral. I, that's, that's what, what I, VHS viral was. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, Mike, do you remember there there was no cameras in VHS viral? They were all using cell phones. I'm saying, VHS I, I, viral was a more modern day entry. Like it's not set in the 80s or 90s. They don't yeah, actually but tell you what even, year it is. But viral was like more advanced because in like the early 2000s there weren't video cell phones I'm right 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 I'm just saying that VHS viral didn't have it's the only one that didn't have a specific year I think VHS viral was meant to be taken as present day 
So it came out in 2014. So I just assumed it was 2014 because, like I said, the kids had, the kids had GoPros. You know, we didn't have GoPros in '99. So you know, uh, that that that's kind of what I'm trying to compliment the franchise, saying that they do they do do their homework when it comes to items that they talk about that are year specific. Like I said, the Ace Ventura reference. Um, there was at least one other reference to the year. I thought I wrote it down. Um, Gore, demons, shit. I almost swear I wrote it down. Um, I, I forgot to mention catch that meat. Catch that meat was fucking gross. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, fucking raw chicken. Yay. All right. Well, that's gonna do it for VHS ninety nine. Um, let's go and find out what new material we can uh tell the listeners to listen to so venom do you have anything all right so no more room in hell presents creature comforts episode 12 the real episode 12 is officially out um on that episode derek don and myself take a look at 2006's cemetery gates a first time watch for me so check that episode out that's currently available um, the main show, obviously, you know, we kind of took the month of October off to take care of our other, you know, October duties that we always do. The main show will be back um, sometime early November, and um, I think we'll be looking at Derek's picks uh, on that one. And let's see what else. Um, the Crystal Lake Gift Shop, episode two, is still the latest episode with the lovely Lacey Lou as our guest on that one, where we talk about episode two of the Friday the 13th series. And that episode was called The Poison Pen. And I think that's just about everything I got, Mike. All right. I guess, I, guess you, I could. Don? Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I guess I could speak because I, you know. All three of us were talking about how we had guest spots on Cuts of the Chase uh, lined up for October. Unfortunately, October just got away from all of us, and the three of us basically did not make our appearance on Cuts of the Chase. So um, we will be back for 12 days of Chasemus um, to kind of make up. And she's even given us the option of picking our movie, which is nice. So that's good because I was not looking forward to watching Hubie Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> It might have been great. I don't know. I just hate Adam Sandler with a fiery passion. So, yeah, I wasn't looking forward to watching that. But hopefully, Spoiler, we'll have it's not great. Yeah, that's kind of what I, I I figured when it came out last year, I would have heard something from somebody. Somebody in the community would have said, "Hey, that Hubie Halloween wasn't bad. Check it out." But nope, no one ever said that. So, when I was assigned that movie this year, um, yeah, one of my testicles definitely went back into my body when I heard that title, because I was not looking forward to watching and then talking about that movie. As much as I love Dan and Lacey, and I genuinely do love them, it's, it wasn't a movie I was looking forward to watching. But because October got out of hand, uh, I got out of it. Yay. <laughs> uh, well, at least you knew what movie you were going to watch. I still never did know. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> I feel bad for Mike, because Mike actually got a good movie. You know That, that sounded like a fun movie to talk about. Yeah, uh, it is what it is. I mean, I I was okay either way. I mean, it was a busy month for me too. I, if if they would have like come to me with a couple of dates, I probably would have made it happen. But I wasn't like pressing to do it just because I was busy too. 
Um, yeah, October, November is really busy for me, not just with horror, but also with poker. Um, for those who don't know, I am a avid poker player and I'm a member of a, co- a couple of different poker leagues. So October, November is usually the end of our season. So I never, ever want to miss any games during that month. So, you know, I might miss some early in the season. It's a point-based system, you know. With every event, you earn a certain amount of points, and then the top 20 point getters get into the final tournament, blah, blah, blah. Um, So, yeah, um, along with October being incredibly busy with all the horror watches, poker does also kind of take over whatever free time I have. Hence why it took me two weeks to edit multiple shows this month. (laughs) All right, Don, what do you got? Uh, Yeah, as mentioned, Creature Comforts, uh, that is available on, uh, I think you have it on the network, right? The main normal room. Yeah. Mm Yeah. So uh, that is available. Um, as mentioned again, the cut to the chase uh, guest spot is uh, no longer avail- no longer happening. But uh, stay tuned for the next appearance on the Twelve Days of Chasemas series, which I'm kind of looking forward to. And uh, as usual, the uh, first season of Horror Countdown is available on all podcatchers and even on YouTube. So uh, go ahead and check that out while I still take my break and uh, prepare for season two launching in the new year. All right, cool. Um, as far as I go, nothing that hasn't already been mentioned. Um, so just check out the No More Room in Hell, either YouTube channel or the group page on Facebook. So you should be able to find links to everything there or Dark Discussions Network. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's I guess three spots to find the links now. Um, yep. And other than that, uh, no theatrical release I think this week. So we'll be digging around, looking around VOD for. Oh, something. there's lots of options. I want. Let me give you a bonus um, review for a movie that did come out in theaters this week, but because it came up against Dark Glasses and VHS 99. There was no chance we were going to look at it. And that, of course, is Pray for the Devil, exorcism movie that just released in theaters last Friday. And my short and quick review is it's the most cookie cutter, basic exorcism movie you've ever seen. Literally, you could play exorcism bingo with this movie and (laughs) fill your card halfway through the movie. It's just everything, every beat, every everything that you're used to in exorcism movies is all covered here. I'm not going to say it's a bad movie. It's just an average movie that, you know, if you miss it, you're not missing much. So there you go. Quick bonus review. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what I got from the trailer. And I I probably would have still seen it. But since Dawn and 3D came out the same weekend, I was like, well, if I can only go see one thing, that's what I'm seeing. So... (laughs) Oh, definitely. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, I will not... I, I, I'm not too proud to say that when the Dawn of the Dead title card came up in 3D, I, I did tear up a little bit. You guys don't understand. This is my favorite zombie movie of all time. I absolutely adore Dawn of the Dead. And when that title card came up in 3D, it, it, it was weird. It, it was like being reunited with an old friend. And yes, like I said, a tear or two came out. I'll, I'll admit it. Uh, and it was so goddamn good, too, by the way. Yeah. If you didn't get a chance to see it, uh, I'm sorry. You, you obviously missed it. I don't think it's in theaters anymore, but what that cut, was a goddamn experience. What cut did they do? Uh, the uh, the uh, 
the extended yeah. American cut. Yeah, not, not oh, the Argento really? cut. Okay. It was oh, the yeah, extended yeah. American cut, the two hour and twenty minute version. Oh, okay. But yeah. but they didn't do the Argento cut, the the one that's like almost three hours or whatever now. No, the Argento cut's uh, two. The Argento cut's two. Oh, it's only two? What am I thinking? I thought the Argento cut is cut. shorter than the, the, than the extended cut. cut. The Cans cut oh, that's probably what I'm thinking. See, I thought yeah, it was the theatrical cut because no, I thought the director's cut or the extended has that confrontation on the roof before they take off. Um, the SWAT. I'm like some. I, I think I'm getting the names. I think I'm getting the names mixed up, but I think it's the Cans cut, the director's cut, and then the Argento cut. Yeah, definitely wasn't the Argento cut because I'm I'm familiar with that one and the different yeah, the, mall yeah, the, scenes. Yeah, the Argento cuts two hours. Different scenes. Yeah, the Argento cuts <laughs> two hours long and it has Goblin on the soundtrack. Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, the that's the main way to tell them apart. But I I Have still you, don't know the difference between the other the two American versions. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, ooh, yeah. That, that was a it's goddamn experience. experience. Ah, that's that's something I'll take with me forever. Like, if if I had grandkids, that's a story I would tell. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. Well, yeah, so like I mentioned at the beginning, a little later this week, but we should be back to our regular uh, release schedule next week. So until then, thank you, everybody, for listening to Fresh Cuts. Catch you in a week. Let's say bye to our listeners. Later. If VHS 85 isn't good, I'm starting a fire. (laughs) Peace.